Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Fiction Predictions for Mashable. I'm Sam Hasem. And I'm Nikolai Nikolov. Right. Okay. Okay, well, I mean, I know we're only a few episodes in, um, but you boldly, in episode two, for your panoptical prediction, described it as the perfect fiction prediction, didn't you? I did. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a pretty big claim at the start of this episode. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say the novella I want to talk about today is the most eerily accurate example of a book predicting a real life event that i think i've ever come across at least so far in this podcast i think that's a very good clarification it's crazy right because because <laughs> when we start when we came up with this idea of fiction predictions you know we had the big sort of books and tv shows and movies in our head but like the more people we talk to and the more feedback we get there are some incredible gems out there, aren't there? It is. And the, the really nice thing is, is that so as soon as I, whenever I've mentioned fiction predictions to anyone, they've normally had an example or two that's popped into their head straight away. Uh, and this is actually very similar to how I came across this one. Okay. Um, so I was basically uh, speaking to my friend Dave. <laughs> okay. You're, I'm recording you now. Um, oh, okay. For the purpose of the podcast, it's probably better if you're not uh, chewing. <laughs> I've finished chewing, sorry. He's also a doctor, incidentally. My name's David Spittle. Um, but I was speaking to him about... Um, God, I've got two friends that are doctors. Three, actually. One of them's a real doctor. We're not a real doctor. Not saying you're not a real doctor. Well, but he, what, he did his PhD in poetry or something interesting like this, right? Uh, I'm a poet. I've got... Uh, my first book came out last year, and that was called Box. And it was a sort of exploration of... Um, memory, past and present. And I just got very into this idea of containment and collecting and how that may or may not relate to how we coordinate memory. And um, I was chatting to him about fiction predictions and he mentioned to me a book. Well, he, it was later on, a week or so after I spoke to him about it. Um, he sent me a message. <clears throat> yeah, um, I was but a wee lad. I was uh, very... Uh, young i guess i was probably about nine or ten maybe basically he'd found a book in i think he said he was just an old book in a charity shop and it was at a uh, delightfully rural village fate sort of thing think midsummer murders meets um i mean meet something else equally rural and quaint and it had a little section on it i think it was like an academic book or some, something to do with philosophy or something maybe i think it caught my eye at that age because it looked like the perfect mixture of um 
adult, so I was like, oh, if I read this, I'm going to be an absolute authority on the ocean because it's called the Ocean Almanac. So that was the kind of genesis of where this idea came from. So it wasn't one of mine. Um, my friend my friend Dave gave it to me. Being a copious compendium on sea creatures, nautical lore and legend, master mariners, naval disasters, and myriad mysteries of the deep. That's on the front cover. Informative. Yeah, no, and also, you know, alliteration as well. So it's got, it's got everything going on. It's by Robert Hendrickson. And it had a little section in it, and it read referenced this novella which i'm going to talk to you about today i recently just moved and it kind of got unearthed in the move and decided in a moment of anti-screen uh, irritation with my phone and scrolling so yeah i was just browsing and then found that uh, little factoid about the titanic and um, thought that is relevant Yeah, I was kind of blown away, actually, um, by how accurate this, this, this novella is. So, shall I tell you what it is? I'm really excited to hear it. Okay. So, the story I want to talk about today is called Futility, The Wreck of the Titan, uh, and it's a novella by Morgan Robertson. Um, and this story is about a fictional ocean liner called The Titan, which sinks after hitting an iceberg. And here's the thing, it was published in 1898, which is 14 years before the sinking of the Titanic. Well done, Dave. Yeah, it's really a pretty wild... um, So uh, what's the ship called? Okay. So the ship is called the Titan. What I wanted to start with, first of all, really, is just a description of this ship. Um, The ship in Morgan Robertson's story, because when you compare the Titan with the Titanic the similarities immediately start to stack up. So this was, yeah, 14 years before the Titanic sank. Um, So first of all, like you said, you've got the names Titan versus Titanic. Second of all, you've got the descriptions. The first line of Robertson's novella reads, she was the largest craft afloat. And various descriptions of the Titanic and the Olympic, its sort of twin twin ship, um, the way they were described in adverts, they were both called the largest steamers in the world. I don't see what all the fuss is about. It doesn't look any bigger than the Mauritania. You could be blasé about some things, Rose, but not about Titanic. It's over 100 feet longer than Mauritania and far more luxurious. So then you've got the size. 800 foot for the Titan, 882.5 feet for the Titanic. Very similar again. Then you've got the speed. Speaking about the Titan, Robertson writes, on her trial trip had steamed at a rate of 25 knots an hour over the bottom. The Titanic, meanwhile, I believe was travelling at 22.5 knots when it hit the iceberg. So you've already got these two ships, one of them completely fictional, written over a decade before the the other one was was conceived, and, and they're really, really similar. And it just gets more and more, uh, more and more strange from there, really. So far, it's kind of like, okay, they're similar, but I mean, if the Titanic was the biggest ship, and this person who presumably knew something about ships, this guy, he did. Yeah, he was he was very knowledgeable about like, this kind of maritime world. So, okay, so he must have known like what kind of ship they were maybe trying to build before the actual Titanic was built, but. Is that all? Is that where you're... No, it's not all. Um, first of all, it's worth pointing out as well that uh, just in case you were sort of thinking early on, well, you know, maybe it's not that far before the Titanic. Maybe Robertson, maybe he got wind that they were building the Titanic and sort of, you know, created a quick fictional example of it. He he, he wouldn't have known. I looked in, I dug into this a little bit and um, 
it's the Titanic, although it launched... Um, 1912? So I can't remember if it, it may have launched 1911, but so it sank 1912, but it wasn't, it didn't, construction didn't start until uh, 1909. So that was, Robertson's novella had already been in print for 11 years at that point. Okay. But anyway, we'll come back to that point later, because I do think there is something in that, despite, despite the fact he couldn't have known about that specific ship. Okay, go on. Um... So the second part after the descriptions of the ship is safety. The Titan is described in quite extensive detail at the opening of Futility. And Robertson writes, With nine compartments flooded, the ship would still float. And so no known accident of the sea could possibly fill this many. The steamship Titan was considered practically unsinkable. So... First of all, you've got this idea that it's this giant ship. Nothing's going to sink it. Robertson also writes about how if there were other craft that were in the in the ocean, they'd be expected to get out of its way. You know, there was this idea that it was basically almost indestructible. So this is the ship they say is unsinkable. It sir. is unsinkable. Sir. God himself could not sink sir. this ship. What? Philip Franklin, who was the vice president of White Star Line, so that's the shipping, shipping company behind the Titanic, um, going back to real life now, He's quoted as describing the ship as unsinkable right. when he first sort of got wind, when the news was starting to break. Because obviously back when the Titanic sank, it wasn't like it would be today where we all see videos and find out immediately yeah. what's happening. The news kind of filtered slowly. So when he first heard that there'd been some kind of accident, he's quoted as saying, There is no danger that Titanic will sink. The boat is unsinkable and nothing but inconvenience will be suffered by the passengers. And that's the entire sort of premise of the Titanic when, when they were trying to get all these kinds of people on the boat. Some, some of the first class tickets were thousands and thousands of dollars. And the way that they were advertising it is that it's like the unsinkable, well, allegedly, right? But it was the unsinkable mm. boat. Big boat, huh? Daddy, it's a ship. You're right. Whenever you read an article about the Titanic, it is described as unsinkable. Yeah. Um, and there's a little bit of uh, sort of discrepancy over where this idea came from. Like, I think it was sort of disputed, like the uh, Harland and Wolf who built the ship, they, they said that they didn't describe it as unsinkable. And then some people said it was described as practically unsinkable. And then others were sort of saying that the media, um, there were a couple of articles that described it this way, and then the media kind of latched onto the term. Mm. Obviously, no one wants to have the responsibility of saying it was an unsinkable ship right. when obviously it did sink. But for whatever reason, the legacy of the Titanic is, is this idea of an unsinkable ship. Um, and the Titan, this fictional, fictional boat, was, was exactly the same. Go on. I'll get the next one. No. So, jumping back to Robertson's fictional ship, the Titan. I'll be all right. Listen, I'll be fine. I'm a survivor, all right? It almost seems when you read the book. See? Got my own boat to catch. Like its doom is kind of, it's almost foreshadowed by this certainty uh, that it won't sink. Step aboard, miss. Come on, hurry. And yeah, j just talking about the lifeboats again, um, there's another quote from Robertson's book here. Indestructible, she carried as few boats as would satisfy the laws. These, 24 in number, were securely covered and lashed down to their chocks on the upper deck, 
and if launched, would hold 500 people. Okay, 500 people. So all the lifeboats on the Titan, if they launch, they're going to hold 500. There are 3,000 berths on the Titan. So the lifeboats were capable of rescuing basically about 17% of the passengers, assuming the ship was full. Right. The Titanic, meanwhile, had 20 lifeboats, uh, capable, if full, of carrying 1,178 people. The Titanic has a maximum capacity of around 3,500 people. So again, another similarity to the Titan. Um, but on, 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 its, uh, on its voyage, there were, I think, around 2,200 yeah. on board yeah, wasn't when it sank. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the, even with 2,200, um, if the lifeboats had been filled completely, uh, there would still only have been enough room for just over half the passengers. So that's absolutely insane. Yeah, it's it is and it's um yeah, it's obviously it's it's sort of sad to think about but it's but yeah, when you think of of Robertson's writing, it's the, the, those similarities even in those numbers and and the, this kind of yeah, this idea of of unsinkable and the way it was kind of marketed to people is really really similar again. I guess is this approach to this, you know, incredible human feat of engineering that they've built this machine that will never sink like we don't need to make provisions for the worst because the worst is never going to happen well that's a good point actually like you know titan it's almost like yeah the whole idea is almost kind of mythical sounding isn't it, it meant to be impressive and robertson was writing this as a as a story essentially so he wanted the most impressive ship but of course in real life you know, people want to weave their own, like, narratives around things that are real and create this legendary kind of status. Next, I wanted to talk about the sinking itself. And it sinks, again, you know, and this is when I was reading it, I couldn't believe it, it in pretty much exactly the same sort of way as the Titanic. Oh, it hits, It hits an iceberg. It hits an iceberg? Yeah. You're telling me, okay, you're telling me that you read a book that your friend Dave <laughs> found <laughs> in an old Why did you say Dave's to... name so disparagingly? I Sorry, know, Dave, the, he didn't mean that. The more you're talking about this, the, the less authentic this seems to be. So you're <laughs> saying that your, your, your PhD friend Dave found this book called The Titan in an old bookstore, called you up, and you just like magically brought this after I brought the house down with the panopticon. Now you bring <laughs> this. Brought, now you, you after bring I this, brought the house this, down. This, with is the this even a real book? I is, wonder if anyone's ever uttered the sentence before I brought the house down with a panopticon before. Well, you're just trying to change. You think I'm trying to one-up you. It does sound... It, does, it sounds wildly... It sounds made up. Yeah, it does. No, but this is the thing. So so you're saying that the Titan, which was written, like, whatever, 14 years before the Titanic, mm -hmm. that almost sounds exactly the same yeah, as similar Titanic. specifications. Yeah, biggest boat ever. Described the same way. And hits then a, hits, it an hits an iceberg. An iceberg. And sinks. Yeah. So I'll just read you another quote from the book, um, and this is the moment when um, they they make contact with the iceberg. Is there anyone there? Yes, what do you see? Ice, iceberg. yelled the lookout. Run Ice ahead. ahead. Iceberg, right under the bows. Iceberg, right the first officer ran amidships, and the captain, who had remained there, sprang to the engine room telegraph. 
and this time the lever was turned. But in five seconds, the bow of the Titan began to lift, and ahead and on either hand could be seen through the fog a field of ice. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Which rose in an incline to a hundred feet high in her track. It's gonna hit! I just keep coming back to that moment when, when the ice strikes, um, and particularly that quote that you had where, where that man is screaming ice. Mm. It's just so almost gut-wrenching, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I wonder what it sounded like. There's a lot of description about that passage, um, and I'll read some of the quote again. Amid the roar of escaping steam and the bee-like buzzing of nearly 3,000 human voices, raised in agonized screams and callings from within the enclosing walls, and the whistling of air through hundreds of open deadlights as the water, entering the holes of the crushed and riven starboard side, expelled it, the Titan moved slowly backward and launched herself into the sea, where she floated low on her side, a dying monster groaning with her death wound. Yeah, pretty pretty kind of um, dark kind of description that follows that uh, that line about them spotting the iceberg. One of the lines that really stood out to me, um, as I, you know, as I was preparing for the podcast, I I watched some video interviews with the survivors. I read read a few articles um, and interviews with them. Um, and there's one uh, there's one book called A Night to Remember by a man called Walter Lord. Yeah, I know that book. Yeah, so he he's a real authority on uh, the Titanic and what happened. Yeah, yeah. And he'd interviewed uh, a man called Jack Thayer, 
and he was a teenager um, picked out by one of the lifeboats. Um, and he, in this interview, he recalls the sound that was made by hundreds of people sort of flailing in the water, um, and he described it as the noise of locusts buzzing in the Pennsylvania countryside on a summer night. Wow. That description, you know, that horrible description of these all these voices raised and it being like an insect buzz. Hmm. And an actual survivor describing it in that way. I, I think the, the insect comparison is just so powerful because it's this sense of absolute futility of, of, of humans, right? It's at the face of nature, we're yes. just completely completely and utterly powerless. I guess that's what makes it a fascinating, a fascinating story. But it's also, I mean, I just can't stop thinking about this tiny book. How many pages is it? It's like 50 pages. Yeah, it's about 50. It's a tiny little book talking about the biggest ship ever. And, and all it took to describe this just magnitudal catastrophe of modern humanity was 54 pages. Oh, yeah. And on that note, <laughs> well, okay, I should ask you on that note, oh. um, yeah, it's a good you, fiction prediction. You need prediction. to... Uh, see, it's a good you know prediction. it's a good fiction prediction. I mean, you can't... Like, no no person in their right mind would say this is a bad fiction prediction. We challenge anyone listening to this to yeah. give counter-arguments as to why this doesn't really work because this is kind of blew my mind. It's pretty mind-blowing. I was wondering why you're so secretive <laughs> while you were preparing for this. Uh, it's pretty mind-blowing. And I, yeah, I, I'd, in my head, I'm thinking it's going to take a lot for another prediction, just one little book or one little TV show or whatever it is to come along that make that blows my mind more. Do you know what? I I want to build upon it. Is that all right? I have a another aspect where I think the Titan really works very well. Okay, you ready? Oh, go on then. Potentially, this is predictable in itself, but I'm going to try to give it a little bit of a historical slash philosophical twist. Of course, I was waiting for the philosophical. Well, I mean, I think every historical reference that we had so far definitely has some sort of impact on the present. And I think the, the Titanic-Titan duo is particularly diagnostic of the world that we live in today. Yes. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm interested to, to hear where you're going with this. We're already facing the consequences of climate change. We ourselves are, in a way, this Titanic ship headed towards the iceberg, right? It's it's like a, it's like an impending doom, where our technological advances, without considering the consequences, we're we're heading down this road. So to, you're, I, I see where you're going. So you, so you're saying, um, if you're using uh, the Titanic or the Titan, uh, Robertson's Titan, as a kind of metaphor for, say, climate change in the modern day, then. Yeah, there's particularly in the in the Titanic, actually, isn't it? Because um, stickler for the rules, I guess you are. You're not. You're not. You're not even going to acknowledge uh, my historical sort of allegory, just because it's more related to the Titanic than the Titan. Oh uh, yeah, well that is true. I mean, technically, it's a very good point, but I don't know if it's hey, an I extra tried. fiction prediction. I tried. Right, guys. So because I couldn't convince Sam on my own um, after he first recorded the podcast, I went out and tried to find someone who could. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It's just been I've been traveling a lot and I just 
lost the thread. Anyway, fire away. I was totally convinced that there was so much more to this fiction prediction than just the eerily accurate comparisons between the Titan and Titanic. Yeah, sure. I felt like it was nothing less than a metaphor for who we are as modern human beings. That's great. Thank you. So... I call Daniel Mendelssohn. Yeah, I'm Daniel Mendelssohn. I'm a writer and a critic. I write mostly for the New York Review of Books, where I'm an editor, and the New Yorker magazine. And Daniel wrote this uh, incredible article for The New Yorker on the centenary of the sinking of the Titanic. And so I decided to bring him on the show to try and help convince Sam of the prescience, really, of this ship. At the end of this long essay I wrote for The New Yorker for the centenary of the sinking of the Titanic in 2012, I referred, as Titanic enthusiasts often do, to this 1898 novel by an American writer called uh, Morgan Robertson. And uh, the title, Futility, sort of nods to the, what I would say, the Greek um, DNA of the whole disaster, which is about hubris, right? That the, the works of man are nothing compared to nature. And that was the point of this novel, which was written in 1898, um, 14 years before the Titanic sank. So there's a prophecy almost. It's, it's, like, it's like a Greek tragedy, essentially. The reason that the Titanic disaster captures our imagination is it because it, it is essentially mythic. It replays in real life a mythic theme, which is, or several actually, um, which is about man against nature. Uh, it's a story about class. It's a story about race. It's a story about struggle. It's almost... is a perfect symbol of certain themes. They're literary themes, and in a way, they're religious themes. You know, you shouldn't get too big for your britches, right? It's about hubris. Uh, there's a great story about how one of the Titanic sister ships, which ended up being called the Britannic, was originally supposed to be called the Gigantic, but after the Titanic sank, the board of the White Star Line apparently felt that they were taking this size thing a little too far and they had to calm it down, so they gave it a more tame name. But, you know, that speaks to something that we feel to be true, which is that there's a place that mankind occupies in the, in the universe that we shouldn't go beyond, right? And the Titanic story seems to emblematize that theme, which is also a theme of Greek myth. It's a way of saying that if the real-life Titanic hadn't existed, we would have almost had to invent it, which, in fact, this American novelist did 14 years before the Titanic set sail in real life. It's, it's however many years now since the Titanic sunk. And over this time, there has been countless songs, poems... Um, articles, books, obviously movies, um, just been consistently fascinated with this story. And it's not necessarily just because, you know, it was the biggest ship at the time. It was an unexpected and obviously tragic event. It's something more, you know, the, for example, the... You know, with what's his name, James, what's his name? Uh, James Cameron's film. Were to make a movie now, I'm sure there would be a sort of environmental twist, right? Because you can do it. It's about class, man, and his notion of progress. About love and romance. So I think that's the whole point of a certain kind of story seems always to be useful 
to be about whatever it needs to be about. And in fact, in my article about the Titanic uh, centenary, I mentioned some of the recent academic scholarship about the Titanic and how each generation since 1912 has seen in the disaster what it needs to see. So what did you think of that? Yes, that was it was fascinating, actually. I, I, I stumbled across Daniel's article at some point when I was researching researching the podcast, but hearing him speaking speaking about it is is really interesting, and I think particularly, yeah, just the way he characterizes the whole thing and almost almost that inevitability to someone writing a story like that, given you know where it felt like the human race was headed. I think that's a really important point. And I think it perhaps ties into what we were discussing earlier about, you know, uh, Morgan Robinson on the one, on the one hand, he wrote a very, very impressively accurate prediction, but you know, on, on the other hand, when you really start to diagnose it, was it that surprising that he wrote that story given, given the trends that he was obviously observing? And I don't just mean the naval trends necessarily. I mean this trend of constantly trying to go one bigger and better. I mean it's like it's like Daniel said. It seems to be these generation defining moments seem to be almost cyclical. Basically, what I'm saying is we turn to literature precisely because it illuminates our condition, even if it's old. Human nature has never changed, and the problems that we confront, the basic problems that we confront, are never are not different. The gadgets have gotten better, but we remain the same. There's a reason that you you get folk tales and stories that just repeat throughout history, and that's because they sum up the very basic elements of, of human nature. And Yeah. So I know you were skeptical at first, but aren't you glad that I got Daniel on the phone? No, I'm really glad. I wasn't I, I wasn't skeptical at all, but I was just I guess I guess because I've been really closely looking at the book and and all the sort of close parallels with the real world event i it is really interesting that you brought in this wider context and how it's yeah it's it really kind of ties everything very interestingly together i i think because it's not just really when we look at something on a on a bigger scale it's not just an example of that oh he really smartly wrote this book that predicted something it's actually well there's there's patterns behind everything um and there's a reason he was able to do it I guess you can say the pattern that we've developed at this podcast is that you tend to focus on sort of the literature side of things, on the actual texts and <laughs> words, and uh, I try to like dig out sort of some historical. You dig out the deeper, more impressive stuff. I see. I see what you're trying to say. You say I, I, I yeah, I, I sort of cover the very surface level, <laughs> the dumbed down version, if you will. And... I mean, it's just like an iceberg. You're the, the, you're the oh. part of the iceberg that you could see. See, this is why this is why we, we need to have you on here. It's just that kind of, that analysis combined with that, that razor sharp. Uh, but it's also that we, we, thankfully we had two friends to help us out this week. Yes, that definitely helps because, you know, I, it's always good. The more people, the more people you have, the more things you tend to, tend to spot i think yeah special thanks to daniel no i think this has been a lot of fun and day for yeah. um yeah yeah that's coming on the pod this week okay yes thank you very much for coming on guys so next week um we're very excited we got another very special guest Yes. Speaking of uh, having people on the podcast, we have Marcus Gilmer, who's a reporter for Mashable, coming on next week. And he's going to be talking about, 
Well, I don't know how much we should give away, but he's talking about um, a certain famous uh, family, an American family, and tying it to American politics. That's very vague. <laughs> is that too is that too vague or not vague not vague enough? No, it's pretty good. Um I'll just add that it's a it's an animated family. Okay. And it's it's known to make what we have deemed spookily accurate predictions. Yes, about that the real is world. that is for sure. Anyway, super excited. Um Marcus is you know, is a great guy and he he's a, he wrote an article about it for Mashable. So, you know, as always, guys, stick around. Um, thanks for listening and um, definitely leave us a comment or, or a rating if you haven't already. And please let us know of any fiction predictions um, you want us to consider. Yeah. And uh, yeah, check us out on Twitter. It's at Sam Hasem, at Nikolai underscore Nikolov and at predictions underscore pod. That's the podcast's handle. All right, guys. Bye. All right. Bye. Fiction predictions. Fiction Predictions is a Mashable podcast created by Nikolai Nikolov and Sam Hasem. The theme song was composed by Kasperg. The artwork was designed by Bob Algreen. And this episode was edited by me. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.